Everybody, welcome to another installment of Show Review with Mike G, the show of life, the show of London, the show's Venezuela, religious upbringing, challenging everything you ever came to know about your morality and ethical values while taking a test. Lots to talk about today with the Texas rep from Bacardi for Santa Teresa Rum, Andres Atropita Para. He's a Venezuelan guy. He's incredibly intelligent, has traveled the world, has went down so many different paths, but ultimately found himself helping others and helping himself in something we like to call the hospitality industry. So without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy this great chat with Andres Chopitapara of Santa Teresa Rum. protesting you know that's when it all kind of started to get really really ugly it's like when you have a million people in the streets i mean you can google the images I mean, yeah. imagine like mopac from ensfield all the way to like 45th or even past just jesus like packed. it's packed with people like it's unfathomable actually yeah you look at the pictures and it's just like it's like that's got to be Photoshop. It's like nah, like that's you were there. That's how it was. What and is, then they've just gotten bigger and bigger it, since then. Yeah, two thousand one. What what ultimately? Uh, uh, and it's hard to say. Summarize the <laughs> the terrible, you know, dictator like conditions. But ultimately, what was the main point of contention for the people? I think for me, when I was a kid like that, it was just seeing all the stuff that every. So, I think at the time, if I remember completely, like, correctly. He, Travis really started taking, um, what do you call that? Expropriating to the next level. Oh, I see. Okay. Expropriation to the next level. Where it was literally, it was literal theft. Because here in the U.S., I mean, everywhere in the, everywhere in the world, in modern world, you have expropriations for like eminent domain and stuff like that. Right, right. But normally they'll pay you and they'll buy you out yeah, of your property. It's ethical ish. Yeah, ish. Yeah. I mean, you'll always get the story of somebody like they screwed us over. Right. But, there it was like just blatant theft because it would be like, okay, here's this land yeah, and we believe you're not making use of it properly. So we're going to build a school or a hospital or we're going to build condominiums or some sort of housing or right, something. Right. But that never happened. And if it did happen, they'd half-ass it and then they would just leave it. Right? Wait, so they just took said they, they would, needed the land, took it and, and didn't stick with it? Did nothing. Really? So, I mean, it What's was... What's the point of that, even? Just to show it, you can? I think it's just a show of muscle, and then it would be like the mayor of said town would now own that land. Or, like, the governor would now own those lands. What the hell? Really? It was, it was just straight theft. So, it, they had that, and then you had um, political prisoners, people in the opposition. Yeah. Um, so, that's when it, that, that kind of really sparked everything. And then there was such a big opposition that you had... Half in the military against Chavez, and you had like all the highest admirals and generals all go on TV mm-hmm. and basically say, "Hey, this is a not illegitimate government, but like 
we don't recognize it anymore. Um, wow. Another thing that really, really sparked it was when Travis, I, I think it was in 2001, too. It was during the, um, what do you call that? It was during the oil strikes. Okay. Chavez had gone on. So at the time, the government took over PDVSA, which is Venezuela's number one oil company. Okay. It used to be private. He just took that away, overtook that as well. She just took it? Yeah, just took it. And literally, I kid, like, I shit you not, like, got on national TV, which he's known for doing, yeah. they called the cadenas, they called chains, where he takes over every uh, TV station and every radio station. And he'd do it for hours. Like, there's nothing, unless you have, like, cable, direct TV. Right, you any, can't get like, around but it. But the majority of Venezuelans don't. So they just have, like, basic cable yeah. if you, or antenna over the, stuff, yeah, like right. ABC, NBC, that shit. Uh -huh. But in Venezuela, in every channel would be him. Oh, my gosh. Just talking. And on one of these, he uh, he sits there, and he'd be, like, he had a list of all, like, the the directors and the, everybody on the board of PDV. And like the president, see all that, all the are the higher ups, right, all the execs, right. and he literally would be like, Mike G, uh, double doctorate in geology and petroleum engineering. Thank you for your forty-five years of service. You're fired. Oh shit! On live TV. Yeah, Andres Chobi de Barra, double major or double degree in you know what everything that had to do with that. Right. And it'd be like, you're fired. And just went down the list. Holy shit. And it was literally everybody, 25 years, 35 years, 30 years, 45 years. Like, yeah. just, you're fired, you're fired, you're fired. So that just kind of sparked everything, too. Then you put the uh, military in there to take over the company. Then there was oil spills all over the country. And it just went to shit, man. Jesus Christ. So, so as a kid, you know, you there until 17, going back maybe a little bit earlier, is it a palpable sense of fear and paranoia, like, in the air? I don't. So I, as a kid, I don't think you really, I really felt that, but I think a big drive for me, I was, I was just a little punk rock kid, right? Yeah. So I just kind of wanted to be a part of that protest, but I was always politically driven because like, I'm super opinionated. Yeah. Um, and so, but I don't ever, I never, I, I couldn't imagine what it feels like today. Like, like I told you uh, about 10 minutes ago, whatever it was, I just, I just came back from Indiana. Right? Yeah, right. And so there's a cousin, a bunch of cousins that I haven't seen in 12 years plus. And talking to all of them, I mean, they were doing very, very well in Venezuela. Mm -hmm. For instance, I have a little cousin. He's 19 right now. I haven't seen him since he was shit, five, six, seven. Right. But in Venezuela, he basically lived at my, grand, uh, my uncle's house, his grandfather. So it's actually my second cousin. His grandfather's house. Beautiful house. Right. To himself. 19 Two, years old. 19 year old has yeah, a beautiful Yeah, because his dad's living in Miami because they left. Got it. They got fled it. Venezuela. Um, my uh, my uncle, his grandfather, moved to another apartment because they didn't want to live in the house anymore. So they have like, a smaller apartment. 19 years old, to himself, going to university, has his car, has his girlfriend. Yeah. My uncle has him uh, propped up in his job, in his business, making good money. So sure. living the life. Like right. he's telling me, he's like, dude, you have no idea. Be 19, just doing whatever fuck i wanted to do yeah it's crazy and i was like well do you like being here and he's like yeah and now he's living in bloomington indiana he's doing like construction work yeah lives in a small little apartment has no money is 19 so he can't go out to the bars and stuff right venezuela is living the life like going to the bars buying Toss some bottles, money around yeah ladies just having fun and he'd rather be here 
because that's how like unsafe and that uncertainty oh, and that feeling of just like give it up you give up, up everything yeah this you don't even better. know he's like man I, when you think about it it's like oh you gave up so much but it's like he's like nah he's like i actually like being here like yeah it's like you went from like doing office work getting tons of money to like labor work making no money right you the lifestyle is completely different but just because of that like lack of security yeah he's just like no nah, worth it i'd rather be here and my other cousin ivan same thing his uncle my his dad uh owns land cattle ranchers and he's buying and selling like heads of cattle right doing great like nah we're leaving yeah Wow. Like the stories are endless. I mean, any Venezuelan that you meet in this country right now will tell you the same thing. Like, everybody's got the same story, man. It's like well to do, educated, you know, working. Because, like, to be fair, like, Venezuelans never, we never left our country to stay away. You know what I mean? Like, you'll, my generation is probably the last one that, like, maybe went back, but a lot of us, like, stayed. Like, if you left to go to university right, or right. something. Before that, like my parents' generation, they all came here. Like, so many people my parents' age, they came to either Europe or the United States to study, got their degrees, finished, went back home. That's what my parents did. Right. Uh, in fact, when I graduated, I had no intentions of staying in the U.S. Like, so when come, come you're to the Florida, U.S. Right? Yeah, I was yeah. in Florida. I'll study my politics and I'll go back home and get involved with that shit. Right. But then, like halfway through my um, college years, like my parents, were like we're going to the U.S. We can't live here anymore. So, God. does it feel heartbreaking? Because that is home, right? Yeah, it sucks. It definitely like as much as I love being in the U.S. Like it just doesn't. I don't think it'll ever, ever feel like home. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Like, you know, I've been away from my parents, distant from my like. So when I was thirteen or twelve. The school that I went to, which was on the west part of Venezuela, on the border of Colombia, is, is an American school called mm-hmm. Christian Academy. It closed. It was an Amer- like all American. All my teachers were American. Yeah. Curriculum was American. It closed because of uh, how insecure it was on the border of Colombia. Wow. Because of the guerrilla and yeah, narcotrafico right. and all that shit. So my parents sent me to Caracas. So I went to kind of like boarding school in Caracas so I can continue in American school. Right. So that's when I was 13. So at the age of 13, I already lived away from my family. And then I moved to the U.S., Florida, away from my family by myself. Yeah. And my dad took me, but then obviously went back to Venezuela. Then I moved to London for grad school. So I've always been away from my family. And like for the first time, uh, about a month ago, two months ago, my mom posted a picture of like all my cousins and shit that are yeah. in Bloomington. And I was like, man, I miss that. Family. Like I th- yeah, for the first time in my life, I feel like fa- like it w- like I love my family. Yeah. I'm a huge mama's boy, um, the youngest of three and the only boy, so it kind of makes sense. But I never had like that that yearning to like be there. Like when I'm there, I love it. No, I totally get you. That but only happens when you become an adult. I think that's what it is. It like, does. You just get. Because you're like, you know, you rebel. So talk about punk rock, right? Yeah. Like, you, you and I never. I'm. Totally different kind of upbringing, but still, once it was 17, 18, I was like, oh, well, I'm going to go do my thing. Yeah. And until I probably became 30 or so, I wasn't thinking, shit, I want to make time for my parents again. Yeah, right? dude. It's crazy, right? It and just it's, totally changes. I kind of look back, and I was like, man, I was kind of like an asshole. But you're not because like that's just no, part that's of just how of, it goes. That's part of how life goes. Yeah. And so I was looking at these pictures, and I was like, God, 
so I visited my family this past week, and damn, dude, I was there for five days, and I was like, fuck. I don't want to move back to Bloomington still. But, <laughs> <laughs> but like... I'm warm to the idea of visiting yeah, more. Yeah, I don't want to live there. definitely come more than just once a year. Yeah. But uh, it was... Yeah, it really it really pulled at me yeah. to be there. And I think just seeing my cousins and seeing my sister and uh, my nephews and my niece and it was it was it was awesome. And you know, I guess every time I go and visit them, like they all have jobs and stuff, they have stuff to do or or my parents are older so they don't like stay out like right. my sister's got kids and shit, you know. So I would go out. And I lived a year in Bloomington before I came here, so I'd like link up with some people that I knew and yeah. would go out and party. But this time, since my cousins were there and they're my age, like I was just hanging out with family every night. Yeah, and like cool. there's some Venezuelans there, and we'd link up with them, and it just felt like just like there wasn't a single person speaking English. It's just yeah. Spanish, 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 and just the banter, the jokes, just like talking about Venezuela, just the, like it's a good time. Yeah, it's very nostalgic, and so it was like, man. You know, definitely miss home, definitely miss being in Venezuela. And it's just like, hopefully one day, I, th- I mean, all of us, I feel like anybody that lives in in America right now that's essentially fled Venezuela, like, no, there's always this hope, like, we'll, we'll be back. This government will fall, you know, we'll get a things will change. Yeah. But, I mean, the damage that this um, government's done in 20 years, I mean. It's hard to feel like it can bounce back. Well, yeah, because, you know, it's an entire generation that has a certain mindset that, that believes in that shit, right? Yeah. So you had kids that are like four or five years old when Chavez comes to power. He starts his Bolivarian schools, which are these state-run schools that just inculcate and brainwash kids with Chavismo and this bullshit, blah, 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 yeah, blah. Yeah. And they, they, that's their whole life since preschool, right. kindergarten, primary school, middle school, high school. And then there's even Bolivarian universities. And so Jesus. they're in this... You see this weird parallel to the states, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, seriously, it if you're the yeah. university, kids being indoctrinated. I mean, it's not so different. It's not, but I feel like I'm not comparing the two in the sense. No, of no, I understand. Mean, no, but, but there's things happening in this country right now that are just like it's a little weird, strange. It's like what the fuck yeah so let's all right so that's something we got to talk about but first because i really am like a punk rock kid to what was what was your pleasure what was your guilty pleasure in the punk rock genre dude i was a huge anti-flag fan oh yeah nice bad religion oh yeah afi uh speaking of afi so i started listening to afi when i was probably like 12 years old loved them you know black sales oh that's all that stuff. And uh, so I'm 17 years old. I've moved to the U.S. Never in my life did I think I'd, I'd, I'd get to see any of these dudes yeah. live, you know? like just the, Well, Florida, man. They all come through Florida. Yeah, dude. Yeah. And Tampa. Yeah, totally. Tampa was like, it's like if any band of that genre came to Florida, they stopped in yeah. Tampa. It's a massive scene there. Yeah. Like, I'm trying to think great. why. Is, is Hot Water Music from Florida? I don't I'm know. getting that right. I, I know that there's one really big kind of punk band that's from Florida, but I can't remember who it is. But that, I guess, in other but words, that, that kind of helps helps yeah, the scene well, come together. And then also like the the emo scene, yeah. the uh, um, Fueled by Ramen. Oh, that's like right. Yes, sir. Fall yeah. Boy and Paramore and the Academy yeah. is that's based out of Tampa. That's right. So yeah, I got some weird. And then there's stuff. a band named Under Oath. 
Uh-huh. Metal yeah, Metalcore band. Great. Yeah. I used to go to church with those dudes. All no shit. Out. Yeah. I don't go to church anymore, but. Well, you wise though. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. My mom's going to hear that. She's going to be really mad at you. <laughs> we'll talk about it. That's all it's about, man. Uh, Let's talk about it. No, you know? but so, yeah, I was 17 and. I saw, like, during MySpace days, man, I killed yeah. it on that shit. And I saw AFI was playing in St. Pete, which is right across the bay. And I was like, oh, my God. I got to go. Yeah. So I bought my tickets. forget who I went with. I was, oh, Chelsea Carmine. She was a server at the Palm. And I was an essay. I was a server assistant. You know the Palm Steakhouse? I, I don't know. It's like a Ruth's Chris. Okay. Did you yeah. ever watch Entourage? Oh, yeah. You remember they used to get the Gigi salad at yeah. the Palm uh-huh. It's that. Oh, got it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> See, that's a way to connect. Help exactly. me understand. That's usually people like, I don't know the poem. I was like, watch Entourage. Like, yeah, Gigi said, like, oh, fuck. Yeah, that. <laughs> that's it. Um, but we went because she was a big punk rocker, too. Uh, and AFI, like, comes on. It's pitch black. And, like, I'm, like, shaking. Wow. She's like, are you kidding me? I'm like, dude, like, this is. You never thought it was This happen. is beyond real. Yeah. And I was like, if they play God Called and Sick today, I'm going to, like, cry. It's pitch black, and then it's din 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 din. I'm like, oh, <laughs> like just losing my oh, dude. It was, yeah, it was like life changing. And then yeah, I went and saw Anti Flag a couple months later, and they were on tour with this band, uh, Rise Against, from oh, yeah. first to last, because yeah. they were on the Epitaph uh, um, label, and that was, I saw from first to last. And that was like my first exposure to emo, yeah, and that shit. Like I dove head first in the email that's amazing i can gladly say or like probably say i never did guy liner yeah good i don't think yeah you don't seem like but i definitely kind of straightened the shit out of my hair and the like, uh swoopy bangs i call them yeah, <laughs> dude, I, I actually still it. i think have some of those swoopy bangs yeah. <laughs> i'll be 40 and, and i had stuff. girl jeans because they didn't sell tight jeans for men yeah not not then not anyway. then yeah. no dude it's uh, a but it's a good it's a good scene. Further seems forever's from florida right uh are they i, th- I think i thought so. well i have to Check my facts because I'm gonna run rampant with inaccurate facts yeah. like so many other people do on Twitter. But I, I there's just good stuff Isn't, going on. Kind of seems forever. Isn't that uh? That's Chris Carrabba. Yeah, yeah, because Dashboard's from Florida, right? Was it? I don't know. I can't remember. You know, as emo as I what was like, I love Dashboard. Like a couple songs here and there, they like pull out your pull out your heart. But like, yeah. I was never like a huge Chris Carrabba fan. Not me either. I like that Further Seems Forever record, but that's probably more about but, it. But yeah, it's Dude, good. But I like, yeah, I, I was down like taking Mac Sunday and every every so up. Dude, like um, you know Jimmy Wednesdays at Barbarella's. Yeah. Like the first time someone introduced that to me, it was literally like, it was only like a year ago. Someone was like, "What is this magic?" Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I still haven't been. Oh, uh, dude. Yeah, I admittedly I feel a little guilty, but. And it's funny because you would be like everybody in there is between the age of like. They're, almost everybody's over 25. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because awesome. those are songs from the mid 2000s. It's like when we were in our late teens, early 20s. Yeah. So, I mean, you'll see like 35 to 40 year olds and they're just rocking the fuck out. It's just, it's, it's funny. And then after that scene, I really got into like, like American hardcore, if you will. Sure. Who's the prototype Bane? Bane was, yeah. I saw them a couple months ago on their final tour for their second final tour. <laughs> um at sidewinder yeah it's good and dude i hadn't been to a show like a hardcore show in a long time get it i chipped my tooth yep <laughs> like <laughs> so i was like so windy i was like oh my god I'm so yeah dude i hit a pit for the first time since probably the 90s 
and I, the other night at some metal show and i rolled my ankle oh but it but it luckily it healed really quickly because i was went to the lake next day and got a circular but i like i am not the sa- i like I, have bruises all over my body i do not understand how i used to do that like, yeah well you're just times. so much more resilient when you're 15 and 14 mm. you fall on your ass all the time it's really no Dude, big deal you know Oh, I mean, hardcore too, show. Yeah, I, I mean that's kind of funny, man. <laughs> Probably I got hurt, like but... kicked in the face or something. I was like, "What the?" I'm like, "Oh man, <laughs> just a little bit of my tooth." I'm not laughing at your misery, but no, it is but like, yeah, it's crazy. It's a my, sobering moment as an adult when you're trying to get my back friend into Amanda. It. She came with me, and she was like, "What the fuck was that?" <laughs> like it's a hardcore show. She's like, I've never seen anything like that. I've never seen you in that state. Yeah. Like what was going on? It's, I was like, it's it crazy. Brings it out of you, you know. Like, oh, it's so good though. Sometimes that was my stuff. And then I don't know. Kind of got out of that music, and now I just like anything that makes me happy, I I listen to. Yeah. Well, so okay. Before we talk about London, because I want to talk about mm. your experience there. Having a lot of academic experience with politics yeah having grown up in a very unique dictatorship that's the correct term for it right yeah absolutely we are experiencing a really interesting flavor of tyranny i think it's mobile tyranny or techno tyranny perhaps i don't know how to really call it but how do you feel you've been in the states for a while now and you've got the dumbest person that i've ever seen in the public eye that represents america globally so for me, it's almost this dude. People like to compare Trump to Chavez. Really? Uh, yeah, because the megalomaniacs and self-centered. And there's a very for the people, but they're. I feel like they're completely different. He reminds me more of um, Maduro, who's in power now. Okay. Because Maduro's dumb as fuck. <laughs> like just dumb. Like yeah. he just says, and he tries to be like Chavez. He talks like Chavez. But Chavez was extremely eloquent, an extremely Charismatic, savvy yeah. politician. I see. So that's how he gets things going. That's how he, yeah, and he can get the crowd going without like kind of being like lowbrow. But he was he was it was very articulate, especially when he first came to power. Like he, <clears throat> for lack of a better term, deceived a lot of Venezuelans. Like he won outright that yeah. nineteen ninety eight election. You might both of my parents voted for him. Right. I know a lot of people that voted. for him. Because, yeah, in Venezuela, it was this thing of, like, Adecos and Cope, which are the Christian Democrats and the Liberal Democrats, basically Republicans. And, right, right. Um, kind of, on social issues. But, anyways. Um, but it's just that back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Right. And they had started ruining the country as well. I mean, you got to remember, Venezuela was, like, if you look at back in the 60s, 70s, Venezuela was, like, the envy of all Latin American countries. We were on par with like America and Europe with like how advanced we were. Really? We were one of the richest countries in the world with just oil reserves and then natural um, natural resources yeah. and all that stuff. We, like, we don't need to depend on anybody. But that slowly started to change corruption and all that kind of stuff. Right. And so, yeah, by the 90s, I mean, a lot of people were just sick of both parties. Like, you're both the same, just packaged differently. Right, yeah. And this dude came out, charismatic, Promised many things. I mean, if you look at his old interviews, you're like, I'm sitting there like, yes, yeah. yes, yes. And they, they're straight up, will you ever take over any private entities? It's like, absolutely not. That's what makes our economy thrive. We just need government assistance so we can all come up together. Shit like that. You right. know what I mean? It's like, okay, dope. But then it just... Do you think it was the power? That I think it was him? power. I think it was influences from like 
not to get too political about it, like Cuban influences because sure. he admired Fidel Castro. I think he probably just started seeing himself as the savior. I see. You know what I mean? Like megalomania, makes, right? Yeah. There, right? Um, but so comparing that to Trump, like what's worrisome about Trump and like what Maduro says, like Maduro and his people will blatantly lie. Like it, you, you don't even have to fact check it. It's like that's not true. Right. Like that's not true. It doesn't even logically make like, sense. Like it's, it's like yeah. it's so fucking bullshit. Like it's just like nobody in their right mind <laughs> can believe that. Yeah. So or so we think. Right. right. Yeah. So you think. Yet you have so many people that do. Yeah. And that's what I. It's like here in the U.S. Trump will like say something and ten minutes later say he didn't say it. Right. It's on film, motherfucker. Yeah. Like, and people are like, oh no, 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 no. No, 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 no. You know, it was like with his son on the emails. His yeah. his son tweeted the email that he had with that that lawyer. Yeah. And then you have Trump supporters saying, No, that's false false news, fake media, blah, blah, blah. That's not what happened. It's like, God. It, yeah. It's Are you are you worried about it? I don't know. It's, you know, everybody's like saying, like, you know, the Russians are infiltrating to divide us more with like Facebook posts and Twitter posts and hashtags. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It's like, it's coming to that point where it's like, why can't we all just get along? It's like, because I don't get along with, I do, I do not get along with that point of view. And I can't. I think it's, I'm not, I, that's like, it's that whole thing like, you know, be tolerant. Right. But how do you tolerate the intolerant? Like, What's well, like, str- so okay? But, you know what I mean. Like I do know what you mean, but, but like I'm but, not going to tolerate racist rhetoric. No, of like, course like, Shut not. the fuck up. No one wants to hear that. And you're, and you're right, but the thing is, it, the, so we're here in a room right now. Mm. We're having a conversation. We're playing off of each other's, uh, you know, intellectual equity, right? So there's right. lots of stuff going on here. We're exchanging ideas. This is how people should talk. They need to be in a room with each other so they can be empathetic and compassionate because the distance. And the self-aggrandizing false sense of importance that social mm. media provides concentrates any thought yeah. and polarizes it even further. It's like, I like steaks. Okay, Good. Steaks are good. Right. I love steaks. Well, but then social media turns it up to 11 and all of a sudden it says, this guy likes steaks. No, he, he likes the meat packing industry that's supported by the lobby and then does all this damage to the environment and it just comes completely conflated into these other kinds of issues right but if you just come down here and sit and talk to me it's like no i love the the world i love animals i hardly ever eat meat but i love a good steak now right so the minutia is what's lost yeah and no and i agree and i find myself like so i have a buddy who works here in town um and we get along because he's he voted for trump which i still irks me because he's incredibly intelligent right and he knows he is but i think sometimes he just does shit out of spite sure but I've seen him get into conversations with other people and it just never works out. <laughs> but me and him, out. me and him will talk and like there's a mutual respect because yeah. like he's a huge Milo fan. Descendants? No, Milo, Yanoski, uh, Yanoski, whatever. Milo, Milo. But it, uh, you tell me who that is. I don't know who that is. He's that. He's a British dude. He's banned from England, but he's super gay, flamboyant. Uh-huh. He's the whole UC Berkeley that they tried to not have him come. Oh, yes, yes, He was yes, the yes. one who was on a podcast with, um, what's the dude from X Factor? Not X Factor. Joe Rogan? Yeah, Joe Rogan. Yeah. Where he's basically, like, defending essentially what pedophilia would be. 
like homosexual relationships with older men and kids. And gotcha. Nambla. Same, what? Nambla. To go back to the South Park thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he's a huge fan of this, and I think that dude's the most disgusting human, one of the most disgusting human beings on this planet. Yeah. Um, but we we we've been able to. He's like the one person I know that is like a Trump, not defender, but what would you, uh, ish, that I can kind of like put up with him. But majority, like I find myself, it's like I can't even listen to people. Yeah. Like when, um, like I can't even listen to Trump, even if it's oh, off the top of his head or he's reading a teleprompter. Yeah. Like I just see him and I hear his voice. I'm like, you disgust me. Yeah. And I can't even get through a whole thing. No, definitely people, I feel like people need to sit down and, and, and talk to each other, but damn, man, it's it's tough. Like, it's very hard for me to wrap my mind around somebody who supports this man mm. and then still... After all of this. And, and right. still support him and then me want to bother to, like, have any sort of association with them. It's really tough, man, because that's a dangerous dynamic to have in society because... Yeah, you know, we think about the the Harvey stuff. Mm. That shows that people can collaborate and can work together and try to help each other despite any religious or political right. boundaries, right? That demonstrates, and that is a very real thing that happened and helped a lot of people. And that's the thing that we kind of need to focus on versus a guy shooting, injuring over 500 people, but being a coward and ultimately using his, it's the same dynamic on social media, kind of some anonymity. But then you've got your distance. You can be a coward. You can say what you want, even if you don't really mean it. And that's what that whole event to me demonstrates. And that's the whole problem with social media, but mostly purported by Trump. So that's that's well, yeah, the thing he for lives me. Off social media, right? Because right? it just pumps his ego. Right? He probably really doesn't have much of an ego. It's it's probably shrouding some deep senses of inadequacies and stuff. Whatever, right? Whatever it might be. Yeah. But bottom line, just to say, if we can sit, we need to talk first, tweet later. That's exactly how we need to do. And it's so hard to do that because, yeah. like, honestly, who has a conversation? I know, dude. Honestly, like, I mean, you know this happens, and it happens more often than it should. Someone will text me, hey, what's up? And I can't be fucked to have a 30-minute text conversation, so I'd rather have a one-minute phone call. Right. So I call them. They don't answer. <laughs> yeah. Text like, what's going on? Answer the phone. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I know. that basic just wanting to talk like nobody wants to talk on the phone it's the engagement model yeah they just don't want to take the time out no and, and, it's and like, i'm guilty of that but usually it's pretty like transactional it's like gonna be 15 minutes late cool we don't need to talk about it yeah right? so but it, it's communication well, is such a rich oftentimes important thing it's like this that that text message you know is gonna take 30 minutes yeah like man this is a two-minute phone call right and the worst is like when you call and like hey what's up it's like, dude, I just called you. Yeah, I know. What are you doing? Not chilling on my couch. Then why didn't you answer the phone? <laughs> like, what? I mean, I get it. Like, if you're at work, yeah, if, if you're, you're like meeting or you're driving or whatever it might be, don't right. text and drive, of course. But, um, yeah, it's just like the, the communication's evolving, and I think like for sometimes for things to evolve, they have to break down a bit yeah. for it to grow. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we're probably going through that that kind of. That kind of transition. I just hope it doesn't devolve too much because communication is becoming simpler and simpler. Is it more effective? Probably not. But well, it's communications, more and I'm guilty of it. Yeah, no, me emo- too. Emojis. Yeah. Well, that, I'm, I, I'm a huge fan of the thumbs up. 
Like I it's, answer it's that very with symbolic. so many things. But that's like a strange one that's really symbolic, much like the middle finger would be. Yeah. Right? Like there are certain things that within a single graphical image convey multiple words. So to me, that's just economical. You know? Right, but so how far do you get doing that, you know? I know. That's true. This is very true. So your experience in this, you know, studying politics, obviously very passionate about it. You had attended protests. You've been really immersed in this, even since you were a kid, punk rock. Why London? Why was that the place, the next logical step for you? Not that anyone would ever question it, because London's an amazing, amazing uh, city. So I did a summer semester between my junior and senior year in mm-hmm. London, and uh, I just fell in love. Yeah. Like, I couldn't. I couldn't put my finger on it. Like I just said, I felt so comfortable and like alive there. And yeah. Like, just being back in like a proper city and just, I don't know. It, it was amazing. So I had like the time of my life there. And so I got back to Tampa, University of Tampa. It's a private school in downtown Tampa. And I was going to go to law school and I was studying for my LSAT. And I was actually in the middle of my LSAT and I answered probably the third question and something in my head said, yeah, I'm not doing this. So I got up, I went to the so back page, there's two little circles that you fill in. I don't know if my mom knows this, but yeah, so I never finished it. I never, yeah, I gave it to the moderator. She's like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm not taking this. And so I walked out. What, what struck a chord? So I don't know. I don't think, I think my whole life, so the, that time of my life was really it was tough yeah yeah i mean romance and family and stuff like that romance family religion yeah um you know because i had my whole life you know i was a good student uh honestly my whole life and i came to america and you know supposed to do university i was going to become a lawyer and then my whole fantasy as like a kid because i like i went to church you know i played i was at church god knows how like my parents owned a a christian school wow like that's how religious they were or are and that's how much their faith means to them so I grew up in the church, went to Christian school my whole life, um, you know, played drums, you know, for youth group, played drums at church, at, at church service. And then when I got to the U.S., like, I just started realizing, because I grew up in a very conservative, like, Christian yeah. Christian model, if you will. When I got to the U.S., it was, like, mind-blowing. Everything expands open, right? Well, yeah, because there were Christians here that were drinking. Yeah. That's unheard of, at least in the Christianity that I grew up in. Wow. You know what I mean? They were like... It's Catholicism we're talking about, right? No, no it's not. We were, that's the thing. We were like the, the, the minority, like we we're the evangelical Christians in Venezuela, like evangelicos. Okay. okay. Supposed to be like the crazier ones because they're like devout. Yeah. Um, you know, I met Christians that drank, that smoked, that swore, that lived together when they weren't married, right. having premarital sex, all that kind of stuff. All it's the like, good stuff. Yeah, everything that matters in life. I, right? I'm not even fucking kidding. <laughs> no. it, it is. It's all, that's all the great I'm stuff. I'm not even joking yeah, either. Yeah. I truly I, I do. And so I realized that I started, like, I really got into, like, that love movement of Christianity. All the cool kids. Like, I was going to a church where um, where the pastor, like, had tattoos. And so it's, like, kind of modern. Yeah, and yeah. everybody and everybody that went to church was, like, you know, tatted up and was in a band and yeah. it was like cool and and so and it was all about love, love, love and just accepting people and not looking at the sin but looking That's at the That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, but I started realizing I started like changing my views 
of the Bible, like changing what the Bible said right. to fit what I believed. I see. Right? Yeah, which is really what it's meant to do in a sense. Like I think it's a very, uh, what's the word, open and adaptive yeah, I mean, you could take it that way, but that's not. But for me, that's not the way I grew up. Right, right? right. It was very, very black and white. This is what the Bible says. This is what you do, right? Yeah. Or you don't do. Uh, but then, like, I started. I was like, "There's not a problem with drinking. Like, I don't see what the problem is here." Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't see what the problem is with having a girlfriend and living with her. I mean, shit. If you want to have premarital sex, go ahead. That's your life. Be right. safe. Do whatever you want. Like, I don't understand how this made you any better or worse of a person. It's a brilliant thing to realize. Um. No, and I agree. And so, slowly but surely, I realized that what I believed really wasn't really wasn't Christianity. Like I didn't really believe in the Savior anymore. I just it was like a way of life, and a good way to live. Right. But I didn't need the Bible to tell me the right way to live. Well, you got a moral compass. Yeah, and, and then no maybe I've gotten that from my childhood sure. because I did grow up in Christianity. Don't know if that's true because I don't believe that. Like, who is it? It's um. Christopher Hitchens, he says something about like decency doesn't come from religion, it precedes it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so then I, I started believing that. Like just the the, the good nature of, of people, which I think you just saw during the disasters. Like, right. Hum, human goodness does exist. Can we be pieces of shit? Does selfishness drive us to do things? Yeah, of For course. Sure. Sure. But to what extent? Like you have to do good if you want to survive. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Uh, even if it's a in the most selfish purest form you still have to, the good does come of, of, of good does happen right so is um, it so is it safe to say that these kinds of awakenings in a way kind of all converge yeah and so that started losing my religion or like losing my faith started really messing with my head and then i was going through this tough time with like family stuff and right. then, uh this girl at university who really we were Two little depressed kids. Sure. Emo kids, dude. And then terrible we just, relationships. It was horrible. <laughs> it was like who could be more depressed? Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, and it, it was tough. And then I kind of started thinking, like, do I really want to be a lawyer? Like, is this really, really what I want to do? Um, I'm really good at school, so it just made sense. I love politics, so it makes sense. Yeah. It um, all makes sense on paper, but yeah, it doesn't made, mean you made a lot of feel sense. it, right? Like, and. So, yeah, it's like, I'm not doing my LSAT. And then one night, it was with my buddy Alex, who's actually an attorney now in Tampa. <laughs> um, we were just getting really drunk. And I was like, man, I'm going to apply to grad school in London. Because you don't have to take a GRE. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. He's like, are you kidding me? I'm like, yeah. So I drunkenly started my application process for both King's College and University College of London. Yeah. King's College, I applied for public policy, and in and University College London, I did uh, legal and political theory. And so I did my, I did everything up until where you have to submit a, your recommendation letter right, right. and your personal statement. Sure. And I woke up the next morning, and Alex was like, dude, I think you applied. I was like, fuck. <laughs> and I was like, Whatever, I'm going to do it. You're being productive, at least, right? Yeah. <laughs> so that's true. So I don't think a lot of people know that one either. But my mom's going to hear that. She's going to be like, you. <laughs> um, but uh, so, yeah. So I went got through it. it, and I got accepted to both Kings and UCL. At the time, UCL was, I mean, when you're in school, you know, you really pay attention to those charts and shit, right? Like oh, yeah. rankings. 
And so there's the first year UCL topped Oxford. It was ranked number fourth in the world. Okay. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, go to that. Like Kings was like 23rd in the world. I was like, not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to go to UCL. Plus it was more my thing. It was legal and political theory sure. versus public policy. Um, so yeah, man, I went, you know, prepared, went to school, got there. And just like one of my favorite, like the second I got to London again, it was like, ah, oh, I'm here. I'm away from family, which is kind of a comforting thing to me because I'm used to it, yeah. right? Because I had been living in Bloomington, Indiana with my parents. And like I said, I love them to death, but when you're younger, you kind of, sure. especially when you're used to being away. Um, you know, put all my stuff in my dorm. And I just remember, like, just walked out the front door and just roamed the city of London for probably, like, three hours. Yeah. Nobody can contact me. Nobody knows who I am. So amazing. It's, I, I love To me, that. that's absolute freedom yeah. like i love it i love it i love it. it means like it's so awesome to me because it's not like you want to pretend that you're not somebody that you're not but nobody has any sort of like idea about who you are right which to me was like probably the first time i'd done that because when i left uh ca went to acic a lot of kids from ca went to transferred over to ACIC as well in high school with right. school clothes. So, so they the same knew class and stuff. Yeah, some of the teachers knew me because they came over too. Right. And then when I went to Tampa, my high school girlfriend was going there as well. Oh, man. So uh, you can't even break away from yeah, home. Yeah, Stephanie was there and her older brother, John, was there as well. And so there was two people that knew me, but like we weren't really talking, but it was still somebody in that city that knew me. Yeah. And then when I was in Bloomington, my parents and family right. were there. And then finally, it was like London. It was like nobody knows me here. Like not a single person. No preconceived notion. Nothing. Yeah. And so that was just like ah, it was it was amazing. And started you know going to class and meeting people. And there was a bunch of Americans in my class. And uh, I remember first day. Um, I used to have lip rings. Like, mm-hmm. Those snake bites. So first day, everybody's introducing themselves, and they're all like Ivy League kids. Like I was, part, right. I was. The only one in the course that didn't was an Ivy League. Wow. And all the Americans are like, my name is Melissa or whatever. I went to <laughs> Columbia and studied English. My, my name is Lance. My name is whatever. And I went to <laughs> Yale. And, and it was the same for the British kids. It was yeah. like, oh, I went to Oxford or I went to, or they had gone to UCL or they went to um, Cambridge or wherever. And then it was, and they all had these grandiose plans and what they were doing and all this stuff. And they're like, what's your name? I was like, Andres Chopi de Parra, Venezuela, went to the University of Tampa, and uh, now I'm here. <laughs> what the fuck is this kid? Tell me that's not the most like, punk rock move. Like, ta- like right. tattooed lip rings and like a hoodie on over yeah, my head, yeah. just looking like a punk idiot. But, you know, I thought I was cool. Um, but, yeah, and then... All the Americans, they gravitated towards each other, and they would all hang out with each other, and that's what they did, and they'd invite me out, and i just, nah. Because, like, why on earth would you go to school in London or anywhere outside of wherever country you're from to hang out with people from your country? That seems stupid to me. Yeah. So, like, I made it a point to, like, befriend British people. Like, some of my best friends I'll have for the rest of my life, like my buddy Sam and Arthur, they just got married. I was at their wedding in June. Like, had I focused on just meeting these Americans, I mean, I could have made great friends with them. Sure. Sure. But, you know, I wouldn't have an excuse to go back to England every so often. Or, you know what I mean? It just, I know, and yeah. just really delve into that culture yeah. and their politics 
which is really interesting because they totally look at American politics through dif- or just politics in general through a different. Oh, scene. absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think something that really, really stood out to me that just I was like, <laughs> just blew my mind. Yeah. I made a comment about America's greatest generation, which is World War II vets, right? right? That's what they say here in the U.S. And I started talking about it, blah blah blah, and they're like, "What the fuck?" I'm like, "What?" They're like, "Why?" There's like, "Is that a real thing?" I'm like, yeah, in the U.S., it's like, that's what they call it. It's America's greatest generation. Like, the fuck for? Yeah. Like, you know, World War II, save everybody from the Nazis. They're like, bullshit. They took huge offense to it. Yeah. They're like, they bombed us day and night. Yeah, right. Churchill was not going to surrender. They had already started turning around before you motherfuckers showed up. Like, they were mad. Like, just because you uh, stormed Normandy and blah, blah, blah. Hitler fucked up his own shit. And us as British, we were not going to back down. It was... The French don't blow up our buildings. Cool, take us over. Yeah. You look at East London, they're like, it's destroyed. There's still remnants of when it was destroyed. Right. In fact, where a buddy of mine lives, his apartment, you can see the old brick and the new brick. But they were like, really? Livid. Yeah. And I was like, oh, wow. It was the first time in my mi- time in my life where you see like history from a different view. Well, yeah, it's an old. Yeah. Like, it's one of those ancient civilizations, ultimately. And right? they were just, they weren't having it. Wow. They were like, nah. They're like, yeah, we saved the world from Nazis. It's like, Pfft. why? Because you came in the last two years of the war? Wow. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you rocked up, it was 1948 or whatever? Right. Yeah. 46. 46 to 48, and they'd been doing it since 42 or yeah. so. Like, like it was it was crazy. And I was just, like, talking normally. But they, like, the entire table wow. was like, get the fuck out of here with that. I was like. So, you know, how long were you in London total? Uh, Just shy of two years. Just, it, was so the, it... the course is only a year. Oh, okay. But you stuck around, I guess? Yeah. So I'd started bartending, and I had no intentions of leaving London. I think my family also thought that when I moved to London, I would stay. Yeah. Like, even my sister tells me, she's like, yeah, we didn't think you'd, you'd come back to visit. But we were pretty convinced that right. you, would, you would just make your life out there. And so I had applied to law schools there, got accepted to the University of Law. At the time, it was called the College of Law. It's the number one law school in England. And I started bartending at this bar called Be At One mm-hmm. in Putney. It's in southwest London. And these dudes, the owners of it, are old school TGI Friday guys. Yeah. Um, I look at the bars now. They own a bunch of them, but they've upped their, they're have they incredible. I mean, the training program for it was so rigorous. And it, like, I'd been bartending and serving tables and in the industry for a while. But, like, when I started working at this bar, like, that's where I realized, like, this... I'm good at this shit, and I really, really, really like it. Yeah. And the style that they did, I mean, we did cocktails, a high-volume cocktail bar, but they had this obsession with, like, perfection and standards. Obsession. Like, if you served a vodka Coke, but that's what they drink their life, but vodka soda, mm-hmm. like, the wash line was, like, a pinky from the, from the rim. Mm-hmm. If you over-served it and actually served that drink and you were caught, ooh. Yeah. You got reamed. If you like shook a drink and we're gonna pour it into a um, like a cocktail glass, but you know when you're gonna pour too much, you cut it. Yep. And you serve that drink. They awesome. saw you because what it says is you either because we free poured everything. Yep. And it means you either had too much liquor, too much juice, or whatever it is. Um, the free pour, the the test was seventy two pours to pass. You had to get sixty eight out of seventy two. Wow. There's like two hundred fifty cocktails you had to get. You had to get ninety eight on every test. And that was like, 
recipe build glassware ice garnish um and then there was like the knowledge part like vodka tequila and all that right, kind of right. stuff all the different types of beer um yeah it was incredible and at that bar i think the the average the average time to be um to be certified because you came on as a trainee bartender it was like 15 weeks i certified in five weeks oh wow so, so i realized i was like i'm good at this it. and i like yeah. it my first day there training they're like hey go downstairs to the kitchen or they took me down there you're gonna do fruit you're gonna cut fruit here are the specs right in front of you yeah here's a knife here's a cutting board watch the fruit you've done this before cool it's cutting fruit boom boom i'm going upstairs taking the fruit upstairs and on one of those i go up and this dude named jiggy he's an area director for the company serbian dude short guy but he talks like he's does one of these things right. like, sexy boy sexy girl hey sexy boy and i was like ah jiggy so he's like making it like everybody loves it dude he comes in comes behind the bar and he's like talking to everybody looks at one orange throws it away looks at another orange throws it away and then he's like hey and everybody like looks up he's like who the fuck cut this shit and he's like new guy and i'm like oh man he's like come here I'm like, yeah he's like did they show you i'm like yeah he's like i know they did of course they did. That's how we do our shit here. I'm like, okay, man. He's like, you see what this is? He's like, it's supposed to be 10 millimeters wide. Look at this shit. Looks like shit, right? I'm like, yeah. He's like, there's a thing right in front of your fucking face for you to measure it. There really was. Really? Like two little lines. Yeah. And if it doesn't fit, it's too wide, throw it away. If it's too thin, throw it away. And in my head, I was like, man, relax. But part of me was also like, damn, awesome. Like, yeah. they care that much. And he's like, it's not much of a garnish if it looks like shit. And I was like. Wow. Touche. No, so I mean, it seems like it. <laughs> and, and God, just like such a rig- rigorous, like symbolic. Oh, dude, program. yeah. And and they, I'm sure it's not as bad as it is now, but they would rate me. Yeah. And at one point, like, my manager took me out. He's like, get the fuck off the bar. I'm like, no. He's like, get the fuck off my bar. I was like, ugh. So I leave. We're out back. He's like, you know, fucking walk out. I want you to walk out. I was like, nah, dude, fuck you. And he's like, oh, you fuck me. And he's like, we're just going at it. Right. And he's like, you don't want to work for me? Get the fuck out. I don't want you here. I was like, no. Like, it was being said, I was like, no, I can do this. I'm staying. And I, like, went off on him. And once I finished, he, like, smiled. And was like, go back to work. I'm like, dude, what the fuck? <laughs> like, what's the purpose of that? Just an exercise, like, yeah. That's amazing. Um, You know, you see it in, like, kitchens all the time. And I don't agree with that level. I don't also agree with, like, babying people either. I'm pretty... Right. Direct. I can be pretty rough. I know sometimes when I'm training people, got to watch my language. But yeah, it was. So like working with them, and it was like party hard, but standards right. and caring. And that was one thing I remember that um, Barney, that dude that like berated me, he was like, dude, I can teach you. I can teach you technique. I can teach you to pour. I can teach you to stir. I can teach you to shake. I can do how to like take more orders. How to I can teach you all that shit. Teach anybody that. It's just part of training. Mm. One thing I can't teach is I can't teach you to give a fuck. Right. You can't it's teach. impossible. It's impossible, impossible, impossible. And once you realize that, then it'll be easier in your life. Like, is this person like worth keeping around on the bar team or is it not? Right. Well, I mean, that's a larger metaphor for anything. It, it, right. If you don't care, it's kind of disingenuous. Don't do it. Yeah. If you care, you care. And then you around. do it. And then associate yourself with people who who care right you know because you can teach them and if they don't 
And that's that was one thing from there. And there's another thing. He's like, it's like a th- it was like a kind of like a three strike rule. You know, I tell you once, you don't do it. Yeah. It's frustrating, but you know, first time. But tell you twice and you don't do it or you don't do it right. <sighs> Up it ups the level of frustration, but you know, it happens. But tell you three times and you still don't do it, you're either stupid or you don't give a shit. Two things I don't work with. Right. And I was like, obviously those three strikes, I mean over like three, four months. Yeah, one, two, right. But you know what I mean? If it's just like continuously yeah, sure, sure. it's just like, dude, I can't. This isn't gonna work. Well, so then it begs the question, you know, there's all these interesting roads that are kind of converging. I think your ability to take in knowledge, your ability to learn, all this works really well with cocktails. But you left London and returned to Indiana, is that right? Yeah. And then you came to Austin, which that moved to me. Why? I love so Austin. So I, I left London to visit Indiana with the idea of going back to London for grad, for, for law school because I'd been right. accepted to law school and I was doing all the paperwork I was getting ready. Um, it was a big transitional part of my life because I started realizing that I didn't really want to be a lawyer. Um, and frankly, I lost my mind. Yeah. Uh, that year was, 2012 was a really rough year for me. Um, and so I just, I ended up not going to law school and I realized I'd rather be, I say, I say it as a joke all the time, but it's like, yeah, I wanted to be a lawyer, but I, that it, but I decided I'd rather be happy. Mm-hmm. And that, I say it as a joke, but it's a, it's a very That's true thing. And yeah. as dark as it sounds, I think my closest friends and my family know that had I become a lawyer, I probably wouldn't be here. Right. That it was. That bad. Yeah. So I was not going to do that, obviously, because I wanted to. To be alive. Right. Money doesn't make you happy. I mean, no, it facilitates happiness. Right, exactly. But you know what I mean. Um, but then I was doing the cocktail thing. And I, I just, I really loved it. And I was managing some bars in Bloomington. But I had had such a dark year there. Like, I, I couldn't be there. Like I Palette just, cleanser needed. Yeah, I just I couldn't be there to the dismay of my parents, especially my mom. She's like, please don't leave because she thought I was mentally unstable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that shit happens. And my best friend, Elmer, that I talked yeah, to yeah. earlier, um, we grew up together. I met him when we were 11 in a Korean church, oddly enough. <laughs> wow. um, but he was living here, and he's an incredible chef at the time he was working at uchi oh cool so he was like dude if bars and cocktails is the stuff you want to do austin's basically one massive bar slash restaurant right move here so i packed my shit and i moved how long you been here now five years how, how you feeling about it good after two years i thought i was gonna leave um this is probably not gonna go over with go over well with a lot of people austin's great but it's not like the best thing in the world. No, it's not. I've been here 17 years, man. And <laughs> like, like, I like it. People are like, oh, this place is shit. I'm never leaving. I'm like, eh. It's good. It's good. I like it. Don't get me wrong. And I've learned to like it more and more. Um, but it's I'm not like, oh, it's just the best city in the world. I'm like, I just hate when people say that they've lived here two years. They don't know shit about this city. <laughs> yeah. They haven't seen it. They haven't had to give anything up. They haven't given yeah. haven't give up their favorite vegetarian Asian place, right? Right. They don't stay open, yeah. right? It's just it. it so you know, there's really no sense of commitment. Now, that's not to say that everybody that has been in Austin a long time would say that because we, you know, 
I think for me it. it was I had such a transient life growing up, yeah. you know. Born in the U.S. with my parents were in grad school. My mom was doing her Ph.D. They finished. We came back to Venezuela. We first started off in Maturin, if I, my memory serves me right, which is where my parents are from, which is the east side of Venezuela. Then we moved to the west side, and then I grew up there. And then I, for like my childhood and my adolescence, I went to Caracas, and yeah. then I came to the U.S., and then I went to Bloomington, and then I went to London, and then I went back to Bloomington, and I came to Austin. So the next for me, the next thing was like, okay, where's, right. where do I go now? Where do well, I go the now? pace of life. I call it the... <laughs> the treadmill syndrome oh yeah right so you're on a treadmill and then you get off and you're still moving oh right and so you have to just keep, keep that's that what it was for me and, I, and i've always I, a dream of mine is always like i want to own my own bar at some point uh that would be dope it would be great um but i realize i don't have money yeah a and if i keep moving no one's gonna give me money yeah you know what i mean or yeah, i can't sure. build any sort of any of those relationships and that's something i've been able to do here uh, which in the long run, I think it's afforded me the job with Santa Teresa. Yeah. Um, you know, I moved here. I opened up Moon Tower Saloon. Was with them for a couple months. Left certain reasons. And then I wanted to work downtown. I wanted to be in downtown Austin. And, man, it was tough. Like, yeah. nobody gave a shit. Like, I had a very flowered resume. And it's like, who do you know? Yeah. It's such an incestuous industry in this yeah, town. Yeah, totally. And luckily, I got a job at Metal under the Dunlop umbrella when yeah, it was oh open yeah, in '86. And this dude at the time was working there too, and he was supposed to go help out at Clive, bartending for South by. But like the week before, he he got super hammered. He fucked up. Like he got himself in trouble. Right. So Mike McMillan, who works for Dunlap, so high up for Dunlap. He's like, hey, I hear you bartend. Do you want to go work at uh, Clive for South By? And I was like, yeah, It's a sure. good gig for South By. Jeez. Yeah, and I was like, I'm not worried. And he's like, cool. On Friday, this next Friday, you're going to go in and do like a stage at 10 p.m. Mind you, at the time, I was working at Fino. Uh -huh. It was open yeah, as well, oh, yeah. and at Metal. And so I would... Go to metal, work dinner, leave at ten, drive to Clive, work for Clive from ten to like four, four thirty or five, then get to Fino for brunch at nine thirty. God. And then go to metal and then go to Clive. And that was my weekend for like the two two or three weekends before South by started. Yeah. And That's crazy, man. It was insane. And then I worked South by, or right when South by started, Mike Kane, who was the manager of Clive at the time, was like, dude, do you just want to work here? And I was like, yeah. So then I worked with those dudes for three years, man. Dunlop, Dunlop was, was that's my family still, like the Clive, yeah. those are the Clive boys. Bridget Dunlop is mama to me, like yeah, here in town. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, but yeah. Well, so, okay, so you, you had a good stint. Yeah. On the bartending side. I know you're still doing some of that, I still right? do some here. I'm at Gibson about twice a week now, sometimes more, sometimes less. But how did the opportunity with Bacardi and Santa Teresa come up? So about five months ago, I want to say, I was with Amanda Carto. She's the St. Germain yep. rep. She's great. She's a darling. I absolutely love that girl. She's is that who went to the Bane show with you? What? I said it was no. Amanda. Okay. No, I, was, I just thought that would be funny if she... No, that's Amanda Campos. Okay. She works at the Volstead, I think. Anyways, um, 
So I'm out and I meet Dwayne. Mm-hmm. And Dwayne is fabulous Dwayne Fernandez Jr. I'd never met him. I guess he had, she had talked to him about me just a little because me and Amanda, when I was working at Clive and she was at Van Zandt, mm-hmm. I don't even think I was at Clive. I was managing Lusted Pearl. Either way, I had met her and we just, we saw eye to eye on so many things about the industry, cocktails, spirits, just, we clicked. Yeah. And so she introduced me to Dwayne and we were out and then me and Dwayne clicked and Dwayne has no filter. Nope. And he's you know like, how he feels about you. What the fuck are you doing with your life? I was like, excuse me. That's actually like, a pretty good impersonation. He's like, he's like <laughs> you're a waste. You're a waste of talent. That's what you're doing. You're just wasting your talent. You're a waste. <laughs> and I was like, damn, dude. Okay. And I can take it because I appreciate. It's not offensive to me. I appreciate yeah. how passionate he is about what he does. Right. And he's like, who are you mentoring? What bartender? And I would say someone like Jimmy. I was like, I trained him, and you can ask Jimmy, and hopefully. From my understanding, he'll say, it's like, yeah, I learned a lot from Andreas, and this is why I do what I do, and which to me is amazing, right? right? But uh, he's like, no, you're wasting your time. What are you doing? You're GM of a restaurant? And I was like, dude, it's a good restaurant. It's like Rene Ortiz and Laura Sarika's restaurant. He's like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> like, you're meant to do this. And we hit it up, and at one point, a man was like, you need to calm it down. I was like, it's fine. It's fine. He's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, I get passionate. Yeah. Like, okay, cool. So we meet then. Like two weeks later, he's back in town. Yeah. And him and Amanda are at Backbeat, and she calls me. She's like, uh, Dwayne wants to see you. And I was like, cool. I think I was working. I was about to get off, and Dwayne was like, I don't give a fuck. Tell him to come here now. You know how he is. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> and so he's like, tell me he needs to be here now. <laughs> so I go, and it was a couple of these like, meetings introductions with him me and him really really hit it off and so one day he calls me and he's like what are you doing i was like i'm at work he's like i have a casadores uh activation i need you to work it i'm like i'm at work he's like no you need to do this (laughs) i was like don't be ridiculous i'll call you later so I didn't do that activation because there's no way I could do it. Like, yeah. I said, what are you t- I'm at work, dude. I'm in gym of a restaurant. I can't just be like, Ugh, and like leave. Um, so then he calls me like a couple days later. He's like, hey, Casadores is looking for uh, a brand ambassador. Would you be interested? Are you okay if I throw your name in the hat? I'm like, yeah, sure. He's like, cool. I already did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay, dope. Then like a week or two passes and he calls me. He's like, hey. Uh, Bacardi decided to focus on finding their Vive ambassador, right. Ian. Ian, yeah. And it and put their focus and money in that. And so Casador is, you know, on the back burner a little, but, you know, it's still an option. And I was like, okay, cool, man. And obviously he didn't even mention me for Grey Goose because he knew that, that it, I just don't fit that. Yeah. Um, And Ian's amazing. I actually just saw him the other day. Yeah, we hung out there. Oh, yeah, night. you guys hung out at... I was yeah. at work. I, damn, I went Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah it was great. I saw great. him at Nickel City with a man the next day. That's yeah. when the most interesting man in the world was there. We're taking shots. Yeah. Um, but I think there's many. That's a weird tangent, but I've met people I think they're far more interesting than that dude. <laughs> <laughs> Funny story. My roommate, she had no idea who this person was, but the fact that a rich old man was buying her drinks. She's into it. That's amazing. I was like, Jesus Christ. Right. <laughs> she's like who is he i'm like that's like the dosaki guy she's like oh my god is it really she took pictures of him I was like you were just getting off on the fact that this old rich dude is buying you drinks she's like he's so hot 
like his glasses. A little, a little dark. It is tiny. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but so he, but so he yeah. hounds you down. Yeah, he was not giving up. And so again, one of these calls, it's like Dwayne. I was like, hey, what's he gonna do? I think in between there, he had gone on, on one of his rants again, telling me that I was just a waste and this and that and the other. And <laughs> he's like, what do you know about Santa Teresa Roma? I was like, what do you mean? What do I know? It's the best film in the world. And I truly believe it. Yeah. And he's like, I was like, dude, it's from Venezuela. Like, that's where I'm from. And he's like, oh, shit, you're right. <laughs> he's like, well, they're looking for a brand ambassador. I threw your name in the hat. And I was like, okay, cool. That one makes a lot of sense. And so I did my first interview. Um with Sylvia, who is my direct boss now, and that was like a phone interview that went well. And then we set up a second one, and I'd set it up for like 10 in the morning or something like that. Um, and I picked up a shift the night before, mm. and we there was a party. We, didn't, we got out like at 5. I didn't get home till like 5, after 5. As you know, you don't go like straight to sleep. Right. So I was in bed till like maybe 6, 6.30, almost 7 maybe. And... So I woke up for this interview, phone interview, but took a shower as if, you know, to wake right, up, right. brush my teeth. But dude, I was like tired. After the interview, Dwayne calls me. He's like, how'd you do? I was like, man, I, I fucked that up. Like, I just didn't feel as confident as, as I wanted to. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think what Dwayne had seen in me, they were able to kind of see in me. Sure. And then on top of the connection with, and something I'd always said, I told it to Dwayne, and I told it, said it during my interview, is, you know, I truly believe three things. Like, Venice, we didn't invent any of these three things, but I, I feel like we've perfected them to an extent. Yeah. Number one being beauty, myself not included, but <laughs> um, we've had more beauty pageants in one than any other country in the world. Yeah. And, you know, Venezuela takes a lot of pride in their misses. Um, baseball. Sure. You like baseball, you know that very, very well. Yeah, but it's some of the best, greatest hitter, Miguel Cabrera, in the history of baseball. And then rum, uh, you know, those are three things that, like I said, we didn't invent, but we definitely have put our stamp and made a mark and and kind of gifted them to the world. Yeah. And so for me, being somebody that came to the U.S. with no intentions of staying here, somehow ended up living the bar tender life. You know, to the dismay of so many people. Sure. You know, because I was like the golden child. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, you leave and go to... All right. Honor student, Ivy League. On your oh, shoulders, oh, man. Yeah. And to then be presented with this opportunity to represent something from my country was just like... Like, that means the world to me. Yeah. So even, like, my parents, they don't drink. You know, my family doesn't drink. Like, my my parents don't. I mean, my mom does now that we're older. I didn't grow up with family that drank. In fact, I grew up in a family that that was huge. Right yeah. I, mean, I can remember the first time my sister came home drunk, like my oldest sister. That was like World War Three. It was like yeah. the end of the world. You know what I mean? Now it's like, ah. But really so good. you can actually share this with the folks now. Yeah. I mean, well, it's my, kind of an amazing. Yeah, when I told them that I represented it, my mom was like, "Oh my god, that's amazing!" Because like, you know, it's not that she's not proud of of what I've done with my life. But I think she understands like how much that means to me as well. Yeah. To finally like not just do something that I love, but again to have that opportunity to represent a rum from Venezuela, something that I truly, truly believe. Even before I was given the opportunity to do this, that believe that. Excuse me. 
is the best swim in the world. Yeah. Um, and I love all Venezuelan ones. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I like Diplomatico. I like Pampero. But this one has always stood out. So, Ben Sip, we've been, you know, having the we've pleasure been sipping of sipping on this it. stuff. And I finished it already because it's a little bit too good for me. But 80 Proof, it has, there's this wonderful richness to it. So, when you try to tell somebody what's most characteristic and unique about a Venezuelan rum, what do you say? This particular rum is its richness, complexity, and how dry it is. Yeah, a little dry. So, people's immediate assumptions about rum is that it's sweet yep and this one isn't this one isn't sugar loaded this one like i said is, is a dry rum and that's due to its solera system for those people that know about sherries sure, sure. or brandies it's that cascading continuous aging right um so it starts off with a blend between four and 35 years so the 1796 that's, is that massive blend yeah wow the 1796 is their flagship and yeah it starts off the mother rum they call it. it's a blend of 44 to 35 and that's that top barrel yeah and it started in 1992 and they first released in 96 and so technically at the end of the day there's probably 60 70 year old rum in there but that's not the point it's, no no it's, it's really to, to find that balance and that's that right. complexity that really turns into a sipping rum because most rums for a lot of people, aren't sipping rums. Rum, rum reminds you of being, you know, um, Punta Cana drinking pina right. coladas or something like that. Right? Totally, yeah. This one, people try. I mean, just the other day, I was at um, Small Victory, and this gentleman was talking about all oh, this. He wanted to drink um, bourbon. He's all about bourbon, bourbon, bourbon. And I was like, "Do you ever drink rum?" He's like, Fuck, "Nope." And they carry something for this. And I was like, do you mind if I buy you a glass? And he's like, what? I was like, yeah, you want on the rocks or me? He's like, just to sip? I was like, dude, I'm buying it. Yeah. Like, you can try it. I kid you not, like, he took a sip and his face, like, lit up. Yeah, oh, yeah. Like, he was just like, that's not real. I'm like, no, it is. He's like, not like anything I've ever had. So like, yeah, you're welcome. He's like, I didn't realize. <laughs> and that's the case. And it's not that this is. Like others are worse. Like every everybody's got their their thing that that makes them good, right? Like I'm not here to. I don't think it's right for anybody to shit on somebody else's product. No, totally. Um, but for sipping rum or on the rocks or in classics, you know, even in even in tiki drinks, I mean, it works across the board. Like, well, yeah, this is every, perfect. Yeah, I mean, everybody's like most bartenders' go-to favorite is a daiquiri. You do three parts of this: one part sugar, one part rum, uh, one part lime with a dash of ango. Just technically from Venezuela as well. Oh, okay, okay. Um, it's made at Trinidad and Tobago now, but if you Angostura is the state of Bolivar now, but it's a part of Venezuela. No shit, I didn't realize. Yeah, that. if you read the back of the label, it talks yeah, all about it. But so, how does it in a it's daiquiri? The best. It's, yeah, it's, it seems like it'd be incredible. It's ah, uh, so good. So I you, wish we could make one right now. No, I know. I wish I had. All this. <laughs> <laughs> so this is you know everything kind of comes full circle. You're back home in a sense. You know Dude, I mean? you know, I didn't think about it like that, but yeah, it is because like I said, I'm feeling that like yearning, that tugging of to to go home and like be around my family and 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 see them and like, you know, every time I see my nephews, they're so much bigger, my niece is so much bigger and it's like it's almost you get to that age where it's like it's not all about you anymore, you that's know. That's right. That's right. That's there's a there's, if, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Lars and the Real Girl, but there's a, Dude, it's a great movie. But so there's, good. There's a, 
particular phrase. Yeah, it's on uh, Amazon Prime now, too. Is it? Yeah, cool. I haven't seen it since in the theater. But That's with Gosling. Yeah, what a beautiful yeah. man, that guy. Want a great role for him. <laughs> Very weird yeah, and quirky. So, but his brother says something in that movie to that effect. That adulthood and being a man, really, is about putting yourself second. Yeah. You know, whether that is for the person that you love, your career, maybe to a degree, or your family. So it's great to see all this kind of come full circle. And I got two questions left for you because one of these I'm not really sure how you'll answer and it's going to be curious for me. So I asked this of anybody, or rather everybody that's on the show. So you are at any bar in the world, doesn't matter where it is, and you're sipping Santa Teresa. Yeah. And you can have a conversation with anybody, living or deceased. Who would you love to just sit there at the bar and have a conversation with? My dad. Is he? He's here. He's alive, but yeah, yeah, my pops. Does he drink rum? No. Getting him to do that'd be a brilliant thing. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, there is a. I never had that moment until just recently with my dad. Yeah. Finally shared a glass of wine. It'd been <laughs> thirty something years, you know. So it's a very symbolic thing, and I absolutely understand that. So then the last question for you: this momentum, this transient lifestyle that you've had for so many years. Are you going to stick around in Austin a bit? Or is it wearing you down? No, it's not. I, uh, I'm i kind of liking it. And, and and this doing this particular job right now as a brand ambassador for something that has really opened me, opening up way more of what Austin is. Because, you know, when you work at a certain job, especially in a bar or at a restaurant, especially like opening a new restaurant, that was like my past year with Fresos and Yeah. Running that, like, oh, I mean, it's hard enough to open a new restaurant that's like corporate that has everything in line, but like starting from scratch, yeah, like it's difficult. So that becomes my life, you know. Like, I'd be like, hey, let's go to the restaurant, this restaurant. Somebody'd be like, that's closed already. I'm like, what? Yeah, you know what I mean. So, so much was happening in Austin whilst I was just kind of stuck for lack right. of a better word, but yeah. not stuck because it was my choice. I, I was happy there, but I was stuck doing that and that's everything that i did whereas now i mean just my launch of having tiki week and being going going to be having the ability to or the opportunity to go to all these incredible bars and restaurants and meet all these incredible people and Mm -hmm. all these incredible events that have to do with the industry that i absolutely love right it's kind of opened the city up a little more than my you know daily commute from south austin to south first every day right so Stopping at Casino South at the end of the night for a beer and a shot, then going home. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, it's great. It gets you so out of the routine. So this has allowed me, yeah, and I've been meeting so many cool people, and it's like, that I kind of missed. Because, yeah. like, when I worked on Rainy Street, like, we were friends with everybody on the block, right? Because, like, that's the street, yeah. you know? But that's like, insular, too. Yeah, it it's is. It's a neighborhood. It is neighborhood, but it wasn't just us. Like, I could yeah. meet, and I'd go down to a bar, and during our break, we'd meet here, or on my day off, you, you could hit all these other places. And so I'm like, I'm doing that again. Yeah. And it's cool because it's like, like, what better opportunity or like job to like be able to go to all these incredible places and talk about something you love yeah. that represents where you're from and have a drink. Like, it's not even real sometimes in my head. Yeah. It's you amazing. know, I tell my parents and like, they pay you for that? And I'm like, I don't, yeah, I guess. I don't, it's like, it's so, sometimes for me, it's just, it's so surreal and like, just looking back on, like, like, I never thought, you know, and I was telling Dwayne this the other day. I was like, dude, like, thank you. Yeah. 
like he didn't give up on me you know what i mean like he sure. could have it's like oh honestly just gonna keep doing it. but he like stuck at it like i guess he just saw something in me and we really got along yeah that's how he does and, it man yeah he does it and that's what i love that dude and i i owe a lot to him for doing that and then now working with the bacardi team and then working here in town with amanda st germain like part of that portfolio like it's just it's been amazing and like meeting Stilo and then meeting Juan yeah. and just meeting all these it's just non-stop incredible people not just here in town but just nationally and it's sure. just like this world is just opened up to me and it's like is it going to keep me here in austin probably for sure but i'm hopefully the goal is to grow and then to cover austin you know dallas san antonio houston keep just keep going and keep right. going and keep going because at the end of the day like this realm's amazing yeah the job's great it's it's yeah this is only it's just the beginning man. yeah dude for me it, i really really i really look at it that way and it's mine to either go with it or fuck it up but i'm not not gonna and i'm not gonna do that i'm not right. gonna do the latter i'm not gonna mess it up so you know my whole life it's yeah continuously even though people look at oh you were at ivy league in london for grad school and now you bartend that's and you know sometimes you take a step back take two steps forward but that's not even really a step back it's just like a step in no, a, different, it's just a direction. different direction and maybe that's what <laughs> you're meant to do all along man yeah so it you know sharing this run with you meeting stilo meeting you and then having Dwayne being a great mate to us both it's been really a pleasure for me to get to dive into the bocardi team in this kind of way and you've done a lot of shit dude and it's great <laughs> to to talk about this and i really appreciate you taking the time out and no thank you, know. you so much for having me because I was a little, I wasn't put off, but I was just kind of like, because we met at uh, yeah, Townsend in mid conversation. You're like, let's stop. I was like, what? And you're like, let's hold that. Yeah, I have a show, blah blah blah. And I was like, okay, dope. But no, so th- thank you so much for having me. On yeah, here. man. Uh, I've never done anything like this, so this will not be the last one. I'm yeah. sure. So we'll have to sip some more rum and rum, and you know, Godspeed on this stuff. It's great chatting, Andres. Thank you. Absolutely. So much. Thank you so much, man. Well, there we have it, Andres Achopita Para of Santa Teresa Rum. Another fine rum in the Bacardi catalog. I've had the privilege of getting better familiarity with these amazing rums. First with Banks Rum, this nice blend of five to seven different rums. Got some fun, got some flavor, and then the Santa Teresa Rum. Apparently, the liquid gold of Venezuela. Andres even talks about how it was something that Venezuela is absolutely known for, among other things. So it's great getting to hear about his journey, and how he arrived here in Austin, Texas. Maybe we'll see him diving into law again, but I bet we're going to see bigger and better things coming from Andres very soon. So thanks, everybody, for listening to Show to V with Mike G. No matter how many hours you're spending a day thinking about LP3 and every song and every instrument that's going to be included therein, or if you're thinking, man, Stranger Things Season 2, can they ever top the first? Please keep dancing.